Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Take your Bibles and open up to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And if you're using one of those, it's page 541. 541. And we are a few weeks into our series, Psalms in the Summertime, and I pray that this continues to be just an encouragement to you as you seek to walk faithfully in obedience to God. But we're, uh, we're coming today to a passage that's really familiar to, to most people. It's kind of interesting because uh, not just familiar to people who read the Bible uh, or, or who go to church, but actually this is one of those Bible passages that even the rest of the world would be semi-familiar with, uh, often toted as uh, the funeral passage, where people read this at a graveside or a funeral service uh, sometimes uh, it, people's familiarity with this is this is one of the most commonly quoted scripture passages that I've seen in the film industry in similar settings because it's become such a stapled part of our culture that, well, what do we what do, where do we go in scripture for these service times? And, uh, well, we go to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And in so doing. While we should celebrate any time the word of God is spoken or taught or read, when we come to these passages of scripture that we hear a lot, we are really prone to actually lose the significance of those passages altogether. We're really prone to know the words, but actually lose the heart and the meaning behind what it says at all. And so today I want to, I want to challenge you To look at this psalm, regardless of how many times that you have heard it, read it, memorized it, quoted it, I want to challenge you to seek to look at this with fresh eyes and seek the Lord to say, how would you have this impact me? How would you have us impact, more importantly, us as the church? Because... I highly doubt when David wrote this psalm that he thought, this will be a fantastic funeral song. I I just don't. I don't believe that that was the motive behind David writing this. Could it have been? Sure, we could speculate about that all day. And yet, what we see as a pattern throughout the book of Psalms is that the intentionality of the psalm writers was really with a singular purpose in mind. That God may be glorified. In every season of our lives. 
And that's why you have uh, psalms of great praise and exaltation and you have psalms of deep sorrow and pain and anguish and hurt. And yet it all centers back to one main emphasis, which is God is worthy to be praised in every season of my life, regardless of what we face. Now, ultimately, when we jump right down to the heart of Psalm 23, uh, if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to rest in a simple truth that under the shepherding of God, we lack nothing. Under the shepherding of God, we lack nothing. Everyone say nothing. We, we lack nothing. And I want to read Psalm 23 this morning. And then we're going to pray and seek that the Lord would help us to understand clearly uh, how this should impact us as his people. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, as we step into this, we confess that we are a people who is prone to know these words and not understand the depth of what you're communicating to us through them. So, Lord, today, may we see this with fresh eyes, that you would challenge our hearts in new ways, and that at the end of this time, we would leave here recognizing and finding great comfort in knowing that under your shepherding guidance, we lack no good thing. Lord, may that be enough. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, at the beginning of this psalm, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, uh, we're really prone to take passages of scripture like this and kind of throw our own meaning or emphasis into them. And really, Psalm 23, we're really bad at this, where we go, well, if the Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not desire anything. That tends to be how we take this. I shall not want, so I'm not going to be wanting anything. In other words, if the Lord is my shepherd, I'm going to be content. Now, the problem becomes when we say the Lord is my shepherd and I'm not content. When I struggle with still desiring, still still wanting. And then if we're not careful, we we trace back and we go, well, is the Lord my shepherd? Now, that's a good question for us to wrestle with on the on, on the foundational level that the Lord cannot be the one shepherding you unless you are under the shepherding guidance of the shepherd. Uh, this is where the heart of the gospel comes to the book of Psalms. How do we become people under the guiding hand of the shepherd? Uh, the same way the saints of the Old Testament did. It was through faith. And Ephesians 2 says it's by grace you have been saved through faith. Everyone say faith. 
So at the core of this, the first step in me submitting myself under the shepherding hand of God is to walk in faith. In fact, we talked about in our Sunday school class this morning, Hebrews 11:6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's not just that you might please God a little bit. No, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So at the foundation, understanding, okay, if I, if I have faith in the Lord, as uh, we sang just a minute ago, I have faith that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. More specifically, this could be better understood in saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack anything. I shall not lack any good thing. Uh, now, w- the question becomes in that, what won't I lack? Uh, because I may be able to point to times in my life where I do feel there's a lack of something. I do feel there's something missing. I do feel like uh, there's a void. And yet, the hope here is that I will not lack, here's what's important, I will not lack anything that the Lord deems as ultimately good or important in an eternal sense. If the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack anything that he deems necessary. I shall not want for anything that is truly necessary for me to glorify him. This would be why scripture says that we should seek the things above in the heavenly places and not the things of the earth. Uh, Now, if we begin seeking the things of the earth, is it ever enough? (laughs) Is it ever really? Uh, it's It's not enough. And all you have to do is you could talk to a person at both ends of the spectrum, the wealthiest of the wealthy and the poorest of the poor, and they would communicate the exact same thing. When I pursue the world, it's never enough. Never. If the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then what it goes on to describe is all these things the Lord provides. So right after this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I love when we come to this verse and we think off the cuff. We think we're we're just these happy-go-lucky sheep traipsing along. And look, Jesus is like, here's some green pasture. Enjoy, my children. Have fun. No, these sheep are so stinking stubborn that he has laid down. Laid down in the green pasture. Why is that? Well, because you know what? We are really guilty of the grass is greener over there, Jesus. It's always somewhere else, isn't it? That we look and we say, Jesus, I don't think you got the right pasture because that one over there looks way better. And the Lord is going, lay down. Lay down. <laughs> and we miss this. We miss this. And, and when we take this kind of passive image of what God is doing in our lives, then we become frustrated with him when troubles come. We become frustrated when things don't go the way that we want them to go. And yet, maybe, just maybe, God's doing something in the midst of the trial. So, I shall not lack anything. Well, he still has to make make us lie down in green pastures. Um, and you could, you could jot down a note in that. Um, the sheep don't know what they need. All right? the, the sheep 
don't know what they need. We think we do. When we look at our lives, we go, you know what, God, it would be a lot easier to follow you if these boxes were checked. Check these things for me and we're good. I'll do anything. And we test the Lord like that because we don't know what we need. It says he leads me beside still waters or quiet waters. Uh, another way of, of looking at that is he leads me beside restful waters. Now, it's, it's kind of interesting if you look at the practice of biblical shepherds. Sheep are very easily frightened. Uh, something to know to know about me. I highly dislike sheep. Okay, uh, my brother Ryan, he loves them. Uh, that was not me, and I, I, I loathe sheep. Just they're they're dumb. Okay, they they get themselves into messes, and you get them out, and they'll get right back into the same thing. They just do it over and over again. So when the Bible refers to us as sheep, it's not a compliment. Sorry, it's just not. <laughs> and one of the one of the one of the concepts of sheep is they're very easily spooked. And in fact, if you go back in time when shepherds are leading sheep, uh, the sheep could be completely parched, completely exhausted, and the shepherd knows they need to drink, but the sheep won't drink because the water's moving too fast. Knowing full well that it's, they need to, uh, but the shepherds in the past would actually pile up rocks and sticks and they would dam up the water so it would slow down. So the sheep would drink. Now, there's an image picture there uh, that we can take wrongly if we're not careful because what can happen is, is we can just kind of sit passively by knowing that God has already provided every means that we need to drink and be filled and sit and go, I'm not doing anything. And that's kind of how I think sheep think. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm just not. And yet, the good shepherd, God as the shepherd, leads us beside quiet waters, beside still waters. In the midst of... <laughs> This There's an emphasis that comes in a spiritual rest that is offered. This quiet waters, these restful waters, this spiritual rest that's found only in Jesus. Uh, that the, God is the one shepherding. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. What does that practically look like in the life of the believer? At the heart of this family, it's the gospel. At the heart of this the restful waters, the quiet waters, the still waters is the very hope that's found to us in Jesus. And there's a correlation when we look at Jesus' own words in Matthew 11, when he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you will find rest for your souls. 
ultimately, at the end of the day, when we go back to the beginning of Psalm 23, that when the, when God is shepherding, we lack nothing. He has provided every means for us to be with him. What greater place of rest than to be with the Lord? Now, we talk about that as if it's a purely future thing. And yet, in Christ, we can have rest in the Lord today. You see, we've, we've just accepted the fact in our minds that because the world is going to be in chaos due to sin, that we just have to accept that our life is going to be chaos. Actually, we can walk in a hope that's rooted in Jesus and rest today. But it comes back to this place of, am I more focused on the moving water or the one who has calmed the water? He leads me besides quiet water, still waters. He restores my soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Ultimately, God's purposes in where he leads us and where he guides us is that his name would be glorified, not ours. Where does this become a problem? Comes back to the pastor mentality. Jesus, it's a lot greener over there. Come on. I see some delicious food. Let me go. Now, what's interesting is after this, in verse 4, there's actually a transition that takes place we're prone to miss. You see, up to this point, it's purely talking about who God is in the relationship to the whole. He leads. He restores. He leads. And now there's a shift to a personal walk with God. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's a shift. You see that? He could have written, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. But the the dynamic shifts where we see the personal relationship of God with his people. You are with me. That another way that you can read, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, is, and some of you may have a footnote that says this, the valley of deep darkness. This is where we are most prone to take this passage and say, well, it's, see, it's about a funeral. I'm, I'm, I'm facing death. Well, actually, you could take this and say, when I walk through any dark season of life, I will fear no evil. And the reason that there's no fear is because of the rod and the staff. Now, if, if we're completely honest, the staff that we often see does not do a great job of representing the entirety of what it might have looked like. Because in ancient biblical days, it more likely would have looked like a long stick that had some sort of hook on it. But it wasn't always used to grab the neck. Sometimes it could be used to grab the leg of the sheep, which I love that image picture. The sheep is beaten feet for the other field, and the shepherd just reaches out and grabs it by the leg. Nope. Come back. Right? But there's a comforting measure here in verse 4 that the reason, even when walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that 
they don't have to fear is because the shepherd's presence confirms that even in darkness they are secure. Now, the staff generally used for rescuing the sheep, the rod generally used for defending sheep. But as I was looking this up, the rod could also be used if there is a sheep that was bolting away from the herd. Sometimes a shepherd would chuck the rod over and spook the sheep back into where it should be. And I'm like, (laughs) how many times in my life could I point to that happening where I'm going up direction and boom, something. Okay, God, I'm back where I should be. Right. Regardless, we are really prone to look at the rod and the staff when we face that in our normal life. We're really prone to look at those as negative things. And yet, the psalmist identifies we should find our greatest comfort when we are pulled back in. When we encounter that level of of care from God the Father, that He will not just let us go, but as the New Testament would even declare, it leaves the 99 to pursue the one. There, there is an aspect of God's character that we so easily lose sight of. Now, what I found really interesting about this is if we go back to the beginning of Psalm 23 and understand that I shall lack no good thing. If I'm in the valley of deep darkness, I kind of want some light. Why would the sheep be going through the valley of deep darkness to begin with? Uh, There's no indication here that the sheep has strayed, though we surely do stray away from the Lord. Isaiah 53 says that we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. And yet there's no indication to say that walking through the valley of deep darkness here is as the result of the sheep's straying. So what's the alternative? The alternative is the shepherd is leading me through the valley of deep darkness. The shepherd knows that on the other side of the valley is the greenest pastures that have ever been. But the only way we're getting there is through the valley of the shadow of death. That changes our perspective a little bit, doesn't it? Because oftentimes we're prone to come to this and go, all right, Lord, I know you're with me, but I don't know where you are. God's in the same exact place that he has been, even when you didn't feel like you were in the valley of deep darkness. The problem becomes when we, like Peter, when he stepped out of the boat onto the crashing waves, when he took his eyes off Jesus, he started to sink. In the same way, when you and I are walking through the valley of deep darkness, we take our eyes off the shepherd. We don't know where we are or where we're going. God does. God does. The sheep don't know what they need. The sheep are easily frightened. What this emphasizes is the sheep don't know where they should go. You and I don't know what the best course is to get to where God wants us to go. You and I and our plans will fall miserably short of getting us to where he wants us to go. It's one of the reasons that I never want to stand up here with you, church family, and say, this is where we're going and we hope God catches us along the way. May that never be so. Instead, may we be a people who patiently wait on the the shepherd to say, you go here. 
you do this. And we be a people who he doesn't have to say, lay down. Right? But that we become so confident and so comforted knowing who our shepherd is. That we follow him everywhere. Now that is one of the most, the most profound real life examples that I've witnessed. Even though I despise sheep. Okay? When scripture says in John chapter 10, we read it earlier. That the sheep know the shepherd's voice. It is so true. As my brother is raising sheep. Uh, if anyone would go out there to feed the sheep other than him, they, they didn't want to have it. And as, as dumb as these sheep could be, they knew who their shepherd was. And in fact, uh, when he would go out, he could call those sheep by name and the one who was named that would come to him. And very intentionally, you see the lived out example that we will naturally follow the one we know is shepherding us. That they found great comfort and would come, regardless of what was happening, to the voice of the one who cared for them. The question is, who do we allow to shepherd us? Who do we allow to shepherd us? What is perhaps more fascinating as we think about this is that God leads us in paths of righteousness for whose namesake? What does it say? His. Everyone say his. Here's what we should keep in mind in that. If something highlights my name rather than his, something is woefully wrong. If something in my life highlights my name more than his name, then I should really question, who am I following? Who is it that I am seeking after? The problems come when the sheep take their eyes off the shepherd and start focusing on the darkness. Church family, I I will be the first to admit that as we look at the culture around us, there's a lot of darkness. But I will also be the first to say that we need to be leery of fixing our eyes on the darkness first. Because it's not going to end until Jesus returns. Instead, that we would be a people who fix our eyes on the one who is above it all. The one whose goodness never fails. The one whose purposes prevail. The one who has given us life in the name of Jesus and promised eternity so we don't have to fear. But if you allow yourself to become more fixated on the darkness than on the one who has conquered it all. Don't be surprised when the darkness starts to consume you. The last portion of this psalm, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Church family, when we think of goodness and mercy and it following us all the days of our life, our fleshly tendency is to think of that in fleshly terms. That surely all the good things I want in life are going to follow me and my life is going to be great. It's not. Turn to your neighbor and say life is going to be hard. 
All right. Most of you are living that today, right? Life is hard. And yet, in the midst of all of this, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, as we prepare to finish this, uh, Psalm 23, I'm going to ask the worship team to come, but I want you to turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. You may be listening to this and you may be wondering. uh, David made the proclamation, the Lord is my shepherd. And maybe you're sitting here and going, I want the Lord to be my shepherd, but I don't know what that looks like. I want to be able to have confidence walking through the valley of deep darkness, but I don't know what that looks like. I I want even God to make clear where the green pasture is and even have him nudge me down where I'm supposed to be. I, I, I long for these things. What does that look like? John chapter 10 parallels with this so well and brings us to the heart of the gospel and the only means by which we can bring ourselves under the shepherding hand of God the Father. Verse 1, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. In other words, there's only one way. Everyone say one way. There's one way. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep, what? They follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, everyone say one way. He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. 
Jesus made a way. Jesus is the good shepherd. I am simply an under shepherd of the good shepherd family. It's my job. Your job is not to fix your eyes on me. Your job is to fix your eyes on Jesus. And my job is to help you fix your eyes on Jesus. The only way we submit ourselves under the shepherding hand of God the Father is through Jesus. When we rest in Jesus, when our hope is in Jesus, then we can confidently proclaim alongside the psalmist in Psalm 23, alongside David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack no good thing. Under the shepherding of God, family, we lack nothing. May it be so, and may it be true of us, that we stay rooted in these truths. We fix our eyes on Jesus and we run faithfully in the way he's called us to. Amen? Let's stand together. We're going to pray. And then we're going to sing this, uh, proclaiming the goodness of God as we consider these truths and prepare to step into a world that needs this hope. Father, may we be a people who can proclaim your goodness and your grace to faithfully walk as you've called us to in obedience to your purposes, untethered from the world, Lord, unleashed for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.